please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. The table is now set, so let's feast on God's Word. Luke chapter 1, and we are in verse 46. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Verse 56, And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from Mary's song of praise. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas time is here. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And this year, I showed great restraint and I waited all the way until Halloween before I listened to any Christmas music. Christmas music is wonderful. It's magnificent. I love it so much. I was trying to figure out, why do I love it so much? Came up with a few reasons. I love how you can hear the same song in any genre of your choice. All right? You go to your favorite music streamer, and you search, let it snow. And then you can listen to the R&B version by Boys to Men. You can listen to the big band version by Harry Connick Jr. They're Acapella versions, pentatonics, and instrumental versions, Kenny G. You can go heavy metal. Twisted Sister has a version of Let It Snow. There's, of course, adult contemporary. You got Michael Buble. You can go with the Rat Pack, Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra. Of course, there's country. There's Garth and Trisha and George Strait. I really enjoy that feature of Christmas music. You have the one song, and then in many genres. That's cool. We don't do that in any other form of music. But what I love most about Christmas music is the soaring theology. Like, pa pum pum <laughs> Where else are you going to find that but in Christmas music? Some of our best hymns are reserved for Christmas time. For example, we just heard, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is the time of year where we sing, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. 
This is when we sing. Oh, what song is this? Oh, I, I, I got it now. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. We sing raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings a lullaby. Now, side note, many virgins have sung lullabies to other people's children. One virgin sang a lullaby to her own child. That's why that line is remarkable. And while we're here, yes, Mary did know. Okay? Mary knew. This morning, we have the great privilege of looking at and of listening to the original Christmas carol. Here we have Mary herself singing. This year's Advent celebration began two weeks ago with Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel. Remember, the king's on the move. The king is returning. Mary's going to have a baby. And then last week, we saw Mary go with haste to her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was also miraculously pregnant. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, blesses Mary for the wonder of her situation and for her belief. Elizabeth confirmed for Mary what the angel has said. And we didn't get to hear from, from Mary last week. She was silent as Elizabeth exclaimed her blessing. And now she is ready to respond. The news from the angel has been validated by Elizabeth and by baby John. And Mary responds. Mary sings. Verse 46 says Mary said, but church tradition has this as a hymn. And we're going to treat this as a song. And we will see Mary saying praises to God, and here's our three-part outline. She's saying praises to God, one, for who he is, verses 46 to 50. Praises to God for what he has done, verses 51 to 53. And praises to God for why he has done it, verse 54 and 55. So first, who he is. This song is commonly known as the Magnificat. Your Bible even might have it titled the Magnificat. That's taken from the first word in the Latin translation, magnificat, which means magnify. We are used to this. We just sang it earlier, Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's the Latin version of Luke 2, verse 14. So the magnificat, Mary magnifies the Lord. That's how Mary begins her song. Look at verse 46. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's response to her visit from the angel and her response to being blessed by her miraculously present, miraculously pregnant cousin is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's praise of God is from her soul. It's from her spirit. Her whole being cries out, in praise. Christmas is such an interesting time in our secular culture to hear unbelievers sing, Christ the Savior is born. 
that is strange. Don't they hear what they're saying? Well, do we hear what we're saying? Are our souls engaged in worship? Or are, are our lips praising God while our hearts are far from him? Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. That is, she declares him to be great. She esteems him highly. She magnifies the Lord. And this idea can be tricky. But I'm so grateful for this illustration from John Piper. He says, there are two ways you can magnify something. We can magnify with a microscope, where you take something small and you make it look bigger than it is. That is not what magnify means in Mary's song. The other way to magnify is with a telescope. And that's where you take something ginormous and far away and you bring it a little closer so you can observe it, so you can see it more clearly. That's closer to the biblical mean, meaning of magnify, to see more of the Lord, to think more of him, to see him more clearly. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hebrew poetry often uses parallelism, where you say the same thing twice, but you use slightly different words. So, Mary's soul is not necessarily different from her spirit. Magnifying is not very different from rejoicing. Magnifying leads to rejoicing, to joy and gladness, as you see more of God, as you see him more clearly. I do want to focus on the difference between the Lord at the end of verse 46 and God my Savior in verse 47. The Lord is the almighty ruler of the universe, the majestic king. God my Savior is the personal redeemer of sinners. Sinners like Mary, sinners like you, and sinners like me. Mary needs a Savior. Our Catholic friends claim that she was immaculately conceived and that she was without a sin nature. But here she is, with her own words, rejoicing in God, her Savior. Mary needs a Savior. There will come a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord of everyone, whether they admit it or not. Eventually, everyone will admit it. But is he your Savior? God himself came and planted himself in the womb of this humble servant girl to seek and to save the lost. Is he your Savior? Will you have him? Come to him, confess your need of him, and he's yours. The gospel is an announcement of good news. That's what we're celebrating at Advent. The good news that God came near. The gospel is not, you need to be a better person. It's not, you need to be doing more good. And it certainly is not, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. 
The gospel is the good news that Jesus is here. And now, because of what God has done, how will you respond? It's merely news until you believe it. You receive it, and it becomes the best news. Because now, when you believe, you are forgiven of your sins. You are reconciled to God. You are adopted into his family. You are redeemed from sin. God came near as Mary's son so that your soul would magnify the Lord, so that your spirit would rejoice in God, your Savior. Mary goes into the reasons for her praise in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God saw Mary, and she found favor with him. That is, he was gracious to her. We saw that two weeks ago. That's up in verses 28 and 30. God favored her and chose her, the humble servant, for this unspeakably great honor. It's so great that from now on, all generations will bless her. And and she was right about that, but she would be appalled at anyone worshiping her. Yes, call her blessed, for of the billions and billions of people who have lived on this earth, one gave birth to God himself. That's reason for admiration and blessing. And Mary is to be blessed, and she says, why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me. He has done great things. Her worship of God is not limited to this one miracle, as mighty and incredible as it is. She recognizes that God is at work. And he did this one obvious thing that she never mentions in her song, by the way. We'll get back to that. But he's also done a million other things that we should see and recognize. So yes, bless her, but bless her because God is mighty and has done great things for her. And holy is his name, she says. He is holy. His name is holy, which stands in for his person. He himself is holy. He's unique. He is perfect in righteousness. He is unchanging. He is unshifting. He is holy. And she goes on in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I have made a big deal from this pulpit about the glory and the wonder of but God in the Bible. You'll be reading along, say you're in Ephesians, and you're getting the worst news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then you get to verse 4. But God made you alive. There's a great one in the flood narrative in Genesis. In Genesis 7, it ends with the earth covered in water. Every living thing has been destroyed. Only Noah and his family are left. And Genesis 8.1 says, But God remembered Noah. It's glorious. Well, this year, 
this 2023 season of Advent, I am praising God for the glory and wonder of and. And. This all started in my Bible study. Parentheses, join a Bible study. The men are studying Romans. The women are studying Romans. It's marvelous. There's room in ours. Thursday at four. Join a Bible study. I was in my Bible study. And we were wrapping up Romans 3, and I shared with my guys that I was 20 years old before I realized Romans 3.24 existed. I grew up in the church. I grew up memorizing all kinds of verses, the Romans road and the way of salvation. I certainly knew Romans 3.23, and I'm sure a lot of you know it. Say it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was 20 before I realized that's not the end of the sentence. Verse 24 has a big old glorious and. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. All have sinned. That is a huge problem. What are we going to do about it? That's a bad question. I just asked myself a bad rhetorical question. Because we aren't going to do anything about it. He is going to justify us by his grace as a gift. Praise God for and. I shared that with my guys, and then I dove into this passage to prepare to preach. And lo and behold we find more glorious ands. Verse 49. Mary praises God for his might. He is mighty. He is all mighty. He speaks and worlds are formed. Just unfathomable power. What if He were merely mighty. What if all there was to God was almighty power? That's terrifying. What hope do we have? God would be more like Zeus or Odin or Ra, unconcerned with puny humans. And so, praise God, Mary goes on. And holy is his name. So he's mighty and he's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. There is no hint or shadow of anything less than perfection. Well, now we're really doomed. We are not holy. Our righteousness, our attempts at perfection are like filthy rags. We cannot be near God. If he's merely mighty and holy, Now he's doubly terrifying because now his might might be targeting us, the unholy. But look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. It's his mercy that reaches down and solves our problem. And that's a terrible term. He didn't reach down. He came down. He himself came 
to solve the problem, to bridge the gap, to cross the chasm. He is holy. We can't be with him. So he came to wash away our sins and to give us his righteousness so we can be with him. All three of these attributes have been at work since the very beginning. In Genesis 1, the Almighty God creates with a word. In Genesis 2, the Holy God sets boundaries for man to follow. And in Genesis 3, the merciful God does not destroy the first sinners. But he makes a promise. The woman will have a child that will crush the head of the serpent. That is the mighty, holy, and merciful God that Mary is singing about. And that's the mighty, holy, and merciful God who is growing in Mary's womb. He is holy, which means there's a problem between him and us. He is mighty, which means he is able to fix any problem. And he is merciful, which means he wants to. And he is willing to fix the problem. So willing that he himself came. So praise God for and. For the next three verses, starting in verse 51, Mary praises God for what he has done. She's praised him for who he is. Now she focuses on what he has done. Mary sings about God's right side up world. We are so broken and fallen that we put ourselves in the center of the story. And so we think that God broke in to turn the world upside down. I submit we have turned things over and God comes and makes things right. This is how the world should be. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. In God's right-side-up kingdom, the only condition of receiving anything from him is the humble recognition of emptiness and need. Whether you're a king on a throne or a beggar in the gutter, whether you're rich in your mansion or poor on the street, need is all you need. Mary's song is soaked in Scripture. Perhaps Mary, like us, cannot escape Exodus. Maybe she's thinking of Exodus 6 while she sings, where Yahweh the Lord says to Moses, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Perhaps she's thinking of Psalm 68, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. But the righteous shall be glad, and they shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Most likely, she's thinking of Hannah, who lived around a thousand years before Mary. Hannah had no children because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah prayed and wept. And the Lord answered her prayer and gave her a son, another miraculous birth. Hannah's son was Samuel, the great prophet who was the link between the judges of Israel and the kings of Israel. 
Hannah has this great son, Samuel, and she worships the Lord in song. Listen to some highlights of Hannah's song and hear how similar Hannah's song is to Mary's song. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Messiah. Hannah's song can be found in 1 Samuel 2, by the way. Hannah sings of God's right-side-up kingdom, the overthrow of the mighty and the exaltation of the humble. My point in all this is that Mary knows her scriptures. When she sings, the very words of God come out. She oozes scripture. Do you know people like this? Are you a person like this? Our friend Solomon is like this. You hear him pray, and every other phrase is a verse from a different part of the Bible. It is powerful and beautiful and commendable. Would that we all would saturate in the scriptures so that when we speak, it's the word of God that comes out. When we are squeezed, the scriptures flow. When temptation comes, we'd be ready with an answer. When our natural response is fear, we would know God is with us. Here's another plug for the Bible reading plan that's coming in the new year. Let's be people of the word who respond with the word. I'm excited to read the Bible with you in 2024. If for no other reason, then that we'll have something to talk about at fellowship time. So stay tuned for that. Mary, Mary knows that God is in the business of making things right of turning things right side up. He brought down Pharaoh and Ahab and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. He exalted lowly Joseph and humbled David. He filled the hungry, his people Israel, with bread from heaven. His kingdom is unexpected and peculiar to our secular eyes. It's not the proud and the mighty and the rich that are significant to God. It is the humble and hungry that he has exalted and filled. It's those who are needy that he comes to and helps. Need is all you need. The proud don't need God. That's what it means to be proud. The mighty don't need God. They have their own strength, their own power. The rich don't need God. They have enough money to meet all their needs. But the humble he exalts, he raises up. The hungry he fills with good things. The needy are provided for. Should the proud recognize their need for God, he will fill them up. Should the mighty repent of trusting in their might, he will fill them up. Should the rich cry out to God, he will answer. He is merciful. 
Mary is a good example for us in that while she is going through being a pregnant virgin, she rehearses what God has done. You might be going through something where you're unsure what God is doing. You can be sure of what he has done. You can cling to and remind yourself what he has done. Remember when he gave you patience with your coworker? Remember when he gave you comfort and peace when you lost a loved one? Remember when he sent his son to die on a cross to forgive you of your sins? Remembering brings your current situation into perspective. We might not know what he's doing, but we know what he's done. This middle section of the song where Mary praises God for what he has done is amazing for two particular reasons. One, God has done this. He has shown strength. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has done this. And number two, Mary's son, Jesus, will do this. Mary never mentions her son in this song. Did you notice that? A less humble person, me, might start their song, I'm about to give birth to the king of the universe. Hashtag Messiah mom. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Megan never would have let that happen, so let's blame her. A less humble person like me. Her focus is not on what she is doing, but on what God is doing. There's a lesson here for us. Let's focus so much more on what God is doing rather than on what we are doing for God. She is focused on what God is doing. She never mentions her son, her pregnancy, her miraculous situation. Any kids we still have here in this room, listen up, okay? Adults, you too, play along. But this is, this is, for, this is for students. Let's do a little imagination exercise, all right? Engage the brain. Imagine Mary rocking baby Jesus. She's in a just custom-made rocking chair that was a wedding gift from Joseph. She's rocking baby Jesus. Now imagine she's singing him to sleep, okay? And she is singing this song. All right, you got the picture? Well, in about 30 years, her son has grown and he's going to climb a mountain, and he's going to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to what he said. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. 
Imagine Mary teaching her song to her son and her son growing up to preach her song to the world. Now let's really tie our head in knots. Mary's song is the inspired word of God and her son is the word of God. So the song she sang to Jesus is from Jesus and it's about Jesus and he taught it to her first. And then she teaches it to him and he goes and preaches it to the world and we have it right here in Luke chapter six. Hallelujah. Mary, Mary ends her song by going even further back than Hannah, further back than Hannah. She goes back to the father of our faith, Abraham, and she proclaims why God is at work, why God has done these things. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's his mercy that causes him to act. He had mercy on Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt and with an outstretched arm, he rescued them. His mercy is why he is acting to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. 2,000 years before Mary sings her song, God chose Abraham and told him, in Genesis 17, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God committed himself to Abraham and his offspring. God is committed to his own word. He will keep his word. He will do what he promised. So he must be merciful to Abraham's undeserving offspring, which is us. Any of us who believe are counted as offspring of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. God keeps his word. This baby, Mary's baby, is a continuation of God's promise to Abraham. He, the baby, is the culmination of God's promise to Abraham. Abraham will be a blessing to the nations because Mary's baby is coming to claim for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. He would do that by living a life of perfect obedience, of perfect righteousness, of perfect holiness. And about 33 years after Mary sang this song, her son would climb another mountain. And there, the mighty, holy, merciful God would show strength with his real human arm as he is nailed to a cross. Mary's son knew we were separated from God because God is holy and we are not. Mary's son was mighty enough to do something about it. And Mary's son was merciful enough to lay down his life so that we could say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Mary's son, Jesus Christ, died on that cross. He was laid in a tomb. But he didn't stay dead. He is, after all, almighty God. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. He rose victorious, defeating sin, defeating death, making the world right again for all who would believe, turning the world right side up. Mary's son, Jesus Christ, then ascended into heaven where right now, this very second, he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. This very second, he's interceding for us. He's our mediator through whom we have access to the mighty, holy, merciful God. This very second, he offers his perfect righteousness to us who believe. And not only that, but we're going to hear in a moment in our benediction that he offers to make us righteous right now as we wait for him to come. He offers to sanctify us completely and to keep us blameless until he comes. He is coming again. We celebrate the first advent and we look longingly, expectantly for his second advent. Jesus, come quickly. Mary, let's not forget, Mary is singing 2,000 years after the promise to Abraham. 2,000 years, and then the baby is born. And now here we are, 2,000 years from the baby. 2,000 years from the baby to today. Friends, God is not slow to act. He is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 2,000 years from the promise to the baby, 2,000 years from the baby to today, we've never been closer to his return than we are at this very moment. Are you ready? He's already Lord. Is he your Savior? Like the choir sang, let every heart prepare him room and come thou long expected Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your help and thank you for your word and thank you for your son who came and died to secure for himself a people Father, would you grant belief even today? Pray in Jesus' name, amen.